Welcome to the Big Fundamental Podcast, a San Antonio Spurs podcast from Kent's Five, the official television station of the Spurs. I'm Jackson Floyd, and joining me as always, we've got Evan Klosky from Kent's Five Sports. What up? And Kent's Five's digital Spurs guru, Tom Petrini. Oh, I like guru. What's going on, man? Guys, uh, I don't know if you've checked the standings. Uh, the Spurs, the fifth seed in the West. Really? Let's call it. Let's call it, right? You know? It's, uh, yeah, I don't know uh, why we got to play. Anybody else do that? I check games. my watch sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Stop, stop the count right now. They, they are stop going the right now to a, fir- a first-round series with the Phoenix Suns. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun. A couple of point guards playing against each other there. Chris Paul, DeMar DeRozan, uh, DeJounte Murray. All three of them uh, just uh, assist monsters this year. Uh, I would love to see D-Book and uh, DeJounte Murray going at That would be a fun series. Uh, we got a little bit of basketball before we get there, though. Um, but let's talk about what, just we, uh, what we just saw. Um, you know, the Spurs taking it to the Blazers on uh, Sunday night, uh, Monday night, winning that game 125 to 104. Guys, uh, the thing that stood out to me was LaMarcus Aldridge. I feel like he really needed a game like this. Evan, what did you, you take away from his performance? You know, the, the thing that I really liked about the game against the Blazers and, and what LaMarcus was getting was right out of the gate, the Blazers just dared them to, to let LaMarcus shoot. They're like, hey, look, LaMarcus's numbers are crap. He can go shoot whatever shot he wants. And, and the Spurs just kept feeding him in the, in the pick and pop right there at the top of the key. And, and LaMarcus got into a rhythm. I think that's the thing is, you know, LaMarcus isn't a bad shooter. The only difference is this year is, A, he's shooting three-pointers, not making them. And, B, he's, he's not doing well with um, – you know, in, in the in the flow of a game, but if you're just going to give him an open shot, an open mid range shot, that's just that's not a good game plan entering it. Like it's it's just not. So, um, you know, Marcus had a, a very good game offensively speaking. I I think that I also was a bit concerned what he was doing on the defensive glass. I thought that when Portland did get some offensive rebounds, it was because Marcus was right there and just wasn't aggressive enough to to bring that down. Something that you know, we see Yach, on the other hand, just, you know, he's a vulture on the glass. So I really want him to amp up his intensity on the glass and make sure he's doing that. But, yeah, you know, if, if teams are just going to come in and play the Spurs and say, screw it, we're going to let LaMarcus shoot mid-range jumpers, you're probably going to get burnt. I mean, like, if he's just spotting up and shooting it wide open, that, that's, not, that's, that's not a good idea. So – Good for LaMarcus. I don't know how many opportunities he's going to have to have that many open looks in a row. But if you're going to give it to him, you know, I wanted him to take those. I, yesterday, that's what I, I tweeted, like, in the first quarter. It's like, if they're going to keep doing this and they're not going to adjust, every play, go down there, run the same set, and just feed him and let him shoot. And, and he's going to make a, a large majority of those shots. Yeah, I mean, when when you saw that, I mean, Portland depleted on defense, uh, you know, Yusuf Nurkic, CJ McCollum, not there, but they just kept running that pick and pop and Ennis Cantor and whoever else was the big in that coverage was just dropping all the way to the rim, right? And they gave LaMarcus the top of the key. I think he shot the first five shots from the game. They were all open warm-up jumpers. Um all catch-and-shoot looks. He's getting open looks like that. You want him to shoot him. You want him to get 
uh, as many of those shots as possible. And the mid-range this year for him has not been a bad shot. His percentage has been pretty good on it because it's less post-up and more open cash who looks like that. Um, and Aldridge from 18 feet is uh, – it's not always money, but it's, it's pretty good money. And, you know, Patty said that after the game. He was like, you know, I know the way the NBA is going, but there's still value in that shot, especially for a guy like Aldridge who shoots it so well in his career. It's not like the Blazers didn't have tape on this, right? It's not someone they're new to. They, they know LaMarcus Aldridge pretty well, so it's pretty good. There, there's, just not, there's just not enough scouting on LaMarcus Aldridge, you know, very unheralded coming in. Uh, Portland's never seen him before, and, and so, you know, they didn't know that if you leave him open from 18 feet, bad strategy. But they did that not only to start the game, but to start the second half. It started exactly the same way. You know, LaMarcus was really great, and he set the tone early. Uh, Rudy Gay said that. You know, he got to his spot. He hit his shot like we've seen for a long time. And he wasn't the only guy in this game who's been doing it for a long time and did it in this game. Uh, Rudy Gay, Patty Mills, LaMarcus Aldridge, and DeMar DeRozan all scored 20-plus points, making them the uh, first foursome of 30-somethings to do that in the NBA since 1998. Uh, when a team that's uh, close to one you actually saw, Jackson, did it for the Rockets. It was some guys named Olajuwon, Drexler, Barkley, and Willis. Yeah, I saw them the year after. Uh, I think Drexler retired and Pippen came in. I saw them play Carl Malone, John Stockton, that jazz team. Uh, and yeah, the average age in that game was probably about 40. Um, yeah, not to date myself as, as the, the resident old on the podcast, but um, it was a great showing from the veterans uh, there. And uh, Rudy Gay actually hit his 1,000th career three-pointer. Uh, I think it was Jordan Howenstein from the Spurs who pointed out he and LeBron James are the only two guys since he entered the league that have hit a certain milestone there. Uh, with the thousand three pointers, and when you factor in points and rebounds, everything uh, a big showing like points, rebounds, blocks, steals, sandwiches. But hey, know. he's with LeBron. Yeah, exactly. The two goats. Um, but man, Rudy Gay, he he's been a a, a feature uh, for the Spurs this off uh, this season. I think better than. Um, He's performed better than I think a lot of people expected him to, and especially when he's paired up against, uh, paired up with Jakob Pertl, and they're the front court for the Spurs. Uh, that opens up a lot of things for the young guys, uh, and especially when he's on the court with guys like Patty, Mur- uh, uh, Patty Mills, Dejounte Murray, uh, Devin Vassell. Uh, Evan, you've been talking a lot about this lineup. Uh, they're the lineup of death uh, for the Spurs right now. Um, I think they've got a what forty-five, forty-six point difference on uh, net <laughs> offensive offensive ratings. Yeah, so, um, you know, now that we're entering the 15th game here, we could start looking at some lineups as we've generated a pretty decent sample size. Uh, still relative to the season, it might be smaller, but we're starting to gain a picture. You know, we're, we're drawing, and the picture's starting to show some form. So um, the third most utilized lineup for the San Antonio Spurs is DeJounte Murray, Patty Mills, Devin Vassell, Rudy Gay, Jakob Pertle. This is the lineup that starts the second quarter, and the fourth quarter. They've had 107 possessions. Uh, they're right there with the second lineup that's had 108 possessions. So this is a, a key lineup for the Spurs, and they are plus 45.9 on the floor. Their offensive, uh, their, their points per possession on offense is 122.4 uh, per 100 possessions, that is. And then on defense, it's 76.6. Like, that's, that's absurd and easily the best defensive lineup the Spurs have. 
and, and, and that goes for, um, I'm sorry, there's, there's one other lineup uh, that's played 15 possessions of Murray Walker, Kelvin Johnson, Rudy Gay, Yaka Pirtle, and that's 73.3, but obviously a super small sample size. So 107 possessions, and the Spurs per 100 possessions are giving up 76.6 with that lineup. That's, that's insane. That is, that is beyond, uh, it, 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 you know, their effective field goal percentage on offense is 62.9. Uh, they're, you know, they're forcing turnovers like crazy. Um, their turnover percentage is 24.3%. Uh, offensive rebounds are at 18.2% uh, of, of what they're allowing uh, teams to get on the offensive rebounds, I should say. So um, just, just really uh, a remarkable five that Pop has figured out there. And that, that is a unit that has just demolished another team's second unit. And that's the thing is people go, well, oh, well, you know, all they do is play against second units. Well, who cares? <laughs> I mean, you have, you have a certain amount of minutes in a game. All the minutes add up to amount of points. Whoever has the most points win. So who cares if they're not going up against starters? Nobody's saying that maybe this should be the closing lineup. We can debate that down the line, maybe. But at this point, the fact is that this lineup is superior to another team's second lineup. And when they bring this lineup in, you might as well have the varsity team versus the JV team. That's the way that they're performing out there. So that is uh, beyond impressive. And also I want to mention that, uh, you know, seven out of eight lineups that Jakob Pertle and Rudy Gay have been in, minimum 15 possessions, um, seven out of eight have a positive point differential. So they are, they are a great tandem. And, you know, whether whoever is, is getting mixed and matched there for the most part outside of um, the one bad lineup is Mills, Vassell, Keldon Johnson, Rudy Gay, Yaka Pirtle. That's a minus 20 and a half point differential. And I think that probably leans towards the fact that Patty's running the point, which really I don't think works. Um, so outside of that, those, those two come into the game, things get better. So this lineup that we're talking about works for me for several reasons. Interior defense, right? We've talked about on this show before how one of Rudy Gay's main struggles at this stage in his career is staying in front of guys on the perimeter, right? Still an issue in this lineup, but that issue gets erased pretty effectively with Jakob Pertl protecting the rim. When it's LaMarcus Aldridge, it gets a little dicier. Um, but Gay and Pirtle together, um, you know, Pirtle does a good job of masking his limitations on the perimeter and Patty Mills's. Um, <clears throat> and actually, uh, the, you know, it, it might sound crazy to a longtime Spurs fan, but Patty Mills is making an important contribution on defense in this lineup by guarding the ball. Um, we, we're seeing that a lot where, um, you know, you'll, you'll see Patty in what looks like a mismatch, and it's like, why is Patty doing that? But he's chasing the guy around the screen to Jakob Pertl, forcing the action, and then when he tries to pass out of that, guess who's on the wing roving? It's DeJounte. Uh, and then on the other end of the floor, DeJounte is running pick and roll with Jakob Pertl, getting to his spots, finding people. He had 11 assists and one turnover in... Uh, the win against Portland. Uh, we, I'm, I'm sure somebody out there wants to talk about that one turnover 
for, <laughs> for the next five minutes, but like uh, he's, he's been really good as a playmaker and Patty too. Um, less passing, more finishing for Patty and the finishing has been hit or miss, but having an aggressive Patty has helped this lineup and helped stretch the defense, open things up for other guys. Um, so, you know, Overall, this this lineup works because they just, you know, they take care of the things that this team has struggled with this year, um, mostly in terms of interior defense and pick and roll defense, um, you know, and and I think I think Patty deserves a lot of credit. I think the the entire team deserves a lot of credit for just locking in and, you know. When, when the Spurs have gone on their runs in these games, it's been fueled by the bench unit. It's been these guys um, making big plays, hitting big shots, shaking off rough first halves in some cases, and then just you know continuing to pound the rock and get good shots and create for each other. Um, and we saw it in that fourth quarter against Portland. I mean, I think Dejounte assisted on three triples for Rudy Gay, two in that fourth quarter, where DeJounte just collapsed the entire defense. Um, and he had his pick of open shooters on the wing and found Rudy a couple times. Um, and what, this is something that, Evan, you and I have looked at and watched the film. And, you know, the Spurs, whether shots are falling or not this year, have done a great job of generating them. Um, they're getting mm-hmm. high percentage looks. They're taking the right shots. They could take more threes, probably. Specifically, Keldon, Lonnie, can and should take more threes. But, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you look at the way that they generate the shots and how open a lot of these shots are, they, they're executing the offense at a very high level. Where, they, where they've lost these games, um, it's been when they don't take care of the ball, been when they have an outlier bad shooting night. But they've been able to survive those outlier bad shooting nights if they take care of the ball, force turnovers, get out in transition, do what they do. Um, you know, it really comes down to being able to get stops. And this is something that everybody said after the game. You know, Pop, Pop went through the box score and, you know, he was, he was talking about the way they played and the assists and all, all of the offensive stuff. But he said the best part about the game to him was the way they locked in on defense and then use that to get momentum going forward. And that's something that Patty repeated, Rudy repeated. And I don't think they talked about it. I think they just feel it and know it. That when they really tighten the screws on defense, it's tough to beat them. Um, mm-hmm. And if they can do that consistently over and over again, it'll put a team on their heels feeling in a bad way. And, um, you know, if you're trying to run pick and roll at Jakob Pertle, uh even if you got Damian Lillard, it's going to be tough sometimes. Um, and, I mean, Yak in the past two games has been fantastic. If he plays the way he's played the last two games, and I think he has maybe one dunk the whole time, I'm, I'm off his back for the whole year. Like, like if, if, he can, if he continues to play like this, he's playing his role perfectly. Um, yeah, Tom, you went through all of that without bringing up Devin Vassell. Uh, who has been a... Oh, yeah. I was like, hmm, who's the other guy there? Hmm. 
Uh, uh, talk about Murray. Devin Vassell, oh, good. Vassell, Vassell is getting his hands, his arms in the way of so many passes. He's breaking up entrance passes. He's getting up. He's, he's um, you know, pushing the guy off on the, the, the top of the wing when he's got the ball up there. Uh, he, he's making his way into the interior as a help guy. You talked about how guys can get past Rudy and Pirtle's there, but Vassell's there too. Uh, you know, he's following the guys in the cuts. Uh, he, he causes problems for teams on the defensive end. Uh, Evan, you pointed this out uh, in a tweet of yours after the game. Uh, that defensive mm-hmm. improvement really shifted after that Utah loss. Uh, and in which they gave up 130 points. And since then, they haven't given up 115 in regulation. You know, uh, they had 150 yeah. in Minnesota, but that was uh, an overtime game. Uh, that's been the biggest trend here is, is seeing defensive improvements. And um, yeah, as Tom was saying, Popovich has addressed that. Uh, the turnovers have been great. Uh, the, another game we, we were worried that maybe, you know, the trend might regress last time we spoke, but they're continuing to treat the ball well and uh, not give it to the other team. And that's been big for them. Uh, this game, we saw Murray with 11 assists and uh, we saw, you know, DeMar DeRozan with 11 assists. He put up 20 and 11. He is eighth in the league right now when it comes to assists per game uh, as the f- distributor, the facilitator for this offense, the main engine of the offense. When it's not the lineup of death, it- it's going through De- DeMar and, and he's-, he's been big for this game. Evan, uh, speak to kind of just more of what you saw from DeMar in this game. Uh, you know, it-, it was the veterans in this one and uh, he-, he was one of those guys out there making plays for the team. DeMar, it's so funny because when we're having these post-game press conferences, it's, it always pops up like maybe once every few games, like, hey, DeMar, like, how did you find your way through this game? And, you know, you started off slowly, and then all of a sudden you started picking your spots and scoring more points. And DeMar, you know, repeatedly tells us that he just reads the game. You know, what DeMar has is something you can't really teach, and he has a great feel for the game. He has an understanding of what the team is doing. So really early in a matchup, he is, he is mentally dissecting you. He's like, okay, I'm going to be patient. Um, driving, okay, you're going to do this, all right. I'm going to log, you know, kick out, and I realize they're going to shut me down in the paint. No biggie. I know how to work around this. We're just going to feed here. We're going to feed there. We're going to open things up. And he, he kind of, and he never puts it like this, but what he is doing is essentially reserving his ISO games and his, his bucket getting for, for crunch time. I think when he's got to make some important buckets and, and get some really tough baskets, I think he kind of keeps that in his back pocket and doesn't show his cards until the fourth quarter of what the defense is necessarily doing and how he can maybe break that down later. But even beyond that, we saw it in the bubble. We even saw it, uh, honestly, since the minute that he got to San Antonio, but really with the bubble more so, was having, having more faith in his teammates and allowing them to, to do some of the heavy lifting for him. He's always been a great um, you know, facilitator. And, and I said it last year, even before the bubble, the Spurs are a better offensive team when DeMar is the initiator. Uh, he, he sort of is the point guard for the squad, you know, he, he, a lot of times offensive possessions start with him. He breaks down the defense by going into the paint. He almost always finds an open shooter on the outside and, you know, it either results in an open three look um, or it allows another teammate to drive and kick out and find something else. You know, DeMar's presence really screws with the defense. It does. He, he is most notably the number one person to stop on a scouting report. He is the number one focus. And by doing that, it allows everybody else to be successful. So the only difference between pre-bubble and post-bubble 
is that DeMar is allowing other people to eat while he's the focus versus forcing some of his shots that he would normally do to try to get himself going. Like, hey, I got to get mine. I got to get mine. And now he's trusting the process of mine's going to come. I just have to be patient. And, and usually it comes in the fourth quarter when teams are getting more tired and he's able to exploit some weaknesses that he sees. Um, but yeah, look, he had 11 assists this game. So did DeJounte. Why? Because they shot the lights out of the ball. You know, that goes back to what Tom just said and what we've been looking at. The Spurs have done a great job getting open looks. They're not always falling. Uh, before, the, before the Trailblazers games, they, they had four games where they shot the ball like crap. I mean, they were less than 30% from three. Eventually, that's going to swing in the other direction. And you saw that a little bit in, in Portland where they just they got hot. And, and they, were, they were waiting for this kind of performance. Patty Mills was due for this. Uh, Rudy Gay was struggling before his, his uh, fourth quarter where he popped off. Um, the team as a whole was just really waiting to break out. So, so that, was, that was brewing. But like when we, we look at the Houston Rockets game and you look at them missing all those three-pointers, like DeMar would have had, like, I think it was like, I think I counted like nine, ten assists if they would have made all the shots that DeMar created from deep. Uh, he, he just, he's a tremendous facilitator and he rarely turns the ball over even though these past two games I think he's racked up six turnovers which is like more than his previous like four or five games before that but beyond that he's just he's so steady and um you know it's going to be real interesting as I said you know we foreshadow it before and we're going to continue to foreshadow it down the road of whether or not the Spurs feel like DeMar would be willing to be here long-term or do they need to create a plan, a plan B, which, um, you know, there was a, a rumor by Kevin O'Connor, the ringer that was like, Hey, the Spurs might explore a Bradley deal. So um, that was, that was something where I think, I think that works. I just, I don't know if Beal necessarily works without a long-term contract extension because it's like, you know, the Spurs aren't going to trade, like, let's say like a Lonnie Walker for a guy who's going to be here for, a year and a half and then also bolt. So that's, you know, that's the problem with San Antonio is that not only do they need to get somebody, they need to get somebody who's committed to San Antonio long-term or else they're going to stick with their core. You know, I think San Antonio has plenty to stick with. Um, and, you know, this is something that we've been talking about for months here. Like a lot of people are surprised that the Spurs are eight and six and playing this well. Uh, I'm surprised about certain parts of how well they're playing and like, like how they're playing well. Uh, without but Derek White. Without Derek White. Uh, but Thoughts on that. I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute, but finish up, Tom. I'm, I'm not surprised that they're playing well because they have a bunch of good basketball players here. Uh, Jackson, yeah, it was completely negligent on my part to not mention Devin Vassell. He's, been, he's fantastic. Uh, There's a lot to talk about. It's all good. You know, we'll he's, get- he's all over the floor. He's just as Pop said, a, a fantastic all-around basketball player. You know, there's he's not one thing that he, in baseball. Yeah, he, he compared him to a utility infielder who just does everything. And Devin Vassell looks like if a utility infielder played all nine positions on the field at the same time. Like, he pitched <laughs> it, he ran behind the plate and caught, caught the pitch. He played all positions in the field on the way. Um, he's He's... There are four of him on the court at the same time. It's crazy. Uh, but I, w- I want to talk about DeMar. Um, some crazy numbers here. All right. So 
Uh, first of all, Demar and Dejounte, first uh, Spurs teammates with I think ten or more assists. It's either ten or eleven assists in the same game since so nineteen ninety six. Uh, goes without saying, but the Spurs have had some pretty good assist men play for them <laughs> in that time. Uh, they've also played a pretty uh, well-known style of ball-sharing offense. So the fact that that has never happened in that time, uh, and these two guys did that, uh, says something. That something is that they're very good at sharing the ball. Um, this team has a, a historic assist-to-turnover ratio near 2.5 right now. Uh, DeMar DeRozan averaging 7.1 assists and 1.7 turnovers per, per game. That's a 4.3 ratio. Uh, he's, he's leading the team with that. DeJounte is r- right behind him at uh, 5.6 assists and uh, under two turnovers. So when we talk about the ball security, it starts with them. Um, and DeMar mentioned last night, you know, LaMarcus has made his job easy since he's been here. I don't know if it's exactly as long as since he's been here because it took a while for the pick and pot to, st- to really stick for that chemistry to develop. It wasn't working when LaMarcus was posting up and DeMar wasn't shooting threes, but now LaMarcus isn't posting up and DeMar is shooting threes. So, you know, they've, they've both really changed their game to maximize what they can do to break down the defense and, you know, help those young guys. I saw somebody ask about Lonnie last night because he, you know, he didn't shoot much. He wasn't very, uh, you know, aggressive offensively. He was sort of just standing, spacing the floor most of the time. People were like, why isn't he cutting? Well, you're trying to attack the rim, right? Ideally, you run pick and roll to get a layup. Um, The Blazers were taking away the rim on that action anyway. So, a, Lonnie would be driving into a crowd anyway without really creating much of an advantage. B, it's better if he's spacing the floor, forcing a help defender to make a decision, and catching and being able to either shoot open or drive or pump fake or you know do that .5 offense. He loves that. He's all about that stuff. Um, and Lonnie and Keldon catching, spacing the floor – that's scary, man. I don't care who you are. They're, go- they're going right at you. They're going to shoot over you. They're going to drive through you. Um, and so this team does a really great job of collapsing the defense on all levels. Um, you know, it, it really comes down to defensive communication for them, you know. And uh, we, we saw a bunch of lapses. Maybe not a bunch. We saw a fair amount of lapses in that, in that loss to Houston. Um, and Houston was just a really sharp team in that game. Um, you know, if, if, we can, if we can talk about, like, context for some of the bad losses, sure, yeah. Losing to Minnesota, bad. Losing to Houston without any of their guys, bad. But, um, you know, any of their guys be, except Christian fair, Wood and all have- of their guys. To be fair, the Spurs didn't have DeMar DeRozan for their loss against Minnesota either. So, sure. you know, I, I feel like that one breaks even. You know, it's like your but, stud was out, our stud was out. But I, I hear people talk all the time about like, you know, you know, oh, I can't believe they overlooked these guys and lost this game. That is you overlooking them too. 
you know, that's you saying that that group of NBA players can't beat the other group of NBA players. Every one of those dudes is in the NBA for a reason. Some nights they prove it, right? Minnesota, they, after they lost that overtime heartbreaker to the Spurs, played a great game with Carl Anthony Towns. That was a prove-it game for them. That, that was a, we need to stop a seven-game losing streak, and our dude just came back, and we need to play for him game, you know? And then the Rockets have, you know, they come off two losses to the Lakers, and James Harden says, yeah, I don't think we're good enough talent-wise, chemistry-wise, all that, and I don't think we can fix it. I'm outy. And, and so he's publicly insulted and not just insulted them, said they're not good enough. He's like, you're not good enough. And they're like, all right, bet. They came into the game on that, you know? And Pop said on, they're going to come into the game on that. Television. Yeah. Pop said they're going to come into this game crazy, and they did. And after the game, they asked him about it. Hey, Pop, did that play out the way you thought it did? Yeah. <laughs> Guys, uh, Christian Wood is so good. Uh, Christian Wood is yeah. – uh, we, we talked about him all offseason, right? You know, we were saying his Spurs come grab him, but um, – And now he's going to play like Anthony Davis every single time he plays the Spurs because we talked about him. Right? Should have never done that. He, he always plays like that. He's like – even in Detroit, last year he crushed the Spurs. He was – he looks like a Hall of Famer, but he's a tremendous talent. I mean, you even have LeBron James talking about Christian Wood, you know, telling all his, his Rockets teammates, like, you better get on his ass because, like, this guy is a problem. Um, but I, I just want to piggyback off the, the Rockets stuff very quickly because, Tom, you're absolutely right. And, you know, the, the time we recorded our last podcast was before the Harden trade. We were talking about a possible Harden trades. And, of course, an hour later, you know, things change. And, and I remember – between that you Jackson, it's like, oh, this is gonna be this is gonna be a, a you know a win one a win one because of the trade, right? Like the heart, like that's gonna be the motivation. The Spurs were coming into a great situation where they this group just hated hated going to practice and games because they had a cancer in the locker room, and then they just traded away. So it just creates a whole new dynamic. And and once that happened, I knew that game was gonna be tough. Um, and, and the Spurs, they, they weren't ready for it. They, they didn't have the attention to detail. And that's what you need against, against a squad like that. But the, when the thing was, it wasn't that bad. Fight. It wasn't that bad. It was like 85%. No, it, it was just that 15% that was where they lost it because the, yeah. the Rockets came in on 100, you know? And, like, and, and I'll say this, um, you know, it was also unrelated. I, I don't know why it shifted, but – the, the Spurs had, you know, were in the midst of, of a really bad offensive stretch. Um, you know, so, so seven games this year, they've, you know, per 100, possess- per 100 possessions, seven games this year, they've scored less than 110 points per possession. They are one in six in those games. So when they, when they are just not getting their shots to fall, which is no, like, this is nothing that's crazy analysis here, but you know, when they're having an off night, most of the time they can't figure it out. They, they can't get enough stops to overcome it. They did it in the second Rockets game. That night they came together, had one of their best defensive performances. And after the first quarter, after the first quarter, they gave up 61 total points. You know, that's sort of the effort that had to push them ahead to, to not only win that game, because it took a while for them to pull ahead. They finally figured out in the fourth quarter, but – also cover um so that was the other thing is just like 
you know, they, uh, they are not um, for, what is that, seven games, and they played 14. So seven games, they've had the offensive stuff there. Seven games, they haven't. They're about breaking even. Um, so, you know, you're, and that's probably where the averages are, by the way. That, that's where they're at. You know, that 110 mark is, is where you have to sort of read the line of where this team's going to be able to succeed or not. Uh, you need to get a couple more games ahead of that, that line versus under it. But, you know, this is, this is how you have to, as a fan, process games. Is that, okay, when the offense isn't here, we got to, you know, what's our defensive lineup? And that's, and that's sort of what I, I think is important to talk about with the end of that first Rockets game, Tom, because they were leading by nine with five minutes to go or so, and Pop has LaMarcus Aldridge, Patty Mills, DeMar DeRozan, uh, Keldon, and it, it wasn't Lonnie. It was um, – who's was, who was the fifth guy out there? But was it was – Mo- I, don't, I don't think it was Rudy. But regardless, the, the – the, the fact was that Mills was in there. Oh, was Mur- did I mention Murray? I don't think no, we were missing Murray. Because, yeah. because Murray came in, Murray came into the game and took out Walker instead of taking out Mills. And that left Mills and LaMarcus into the game. And that was confusing to a lot of fans. And I, and I think rightfully so, because A, Patty Mills was shooting like crap that game. B, LaMarcus Aldridge looked like crap that game. And you had Lonnie, who actually looked great. Uh, was shooting very well that night, who plays better defense. And you also had Yach, who is just a better defensive player. And here's, and with LaMarcus, if he's not giving you anything offensively, he's worthless. He is. He, he, is, a, he is a net negative in a bad way because, you know, you can go back to the starting lineup and look at those numbers. One of the best offensive lineups that the Spurs have is that starting unit with LaMarcus in it. It's also one of the worst defensive lineups. You know, it's, it's right up there. It's a, you know, bottom five defensive lineup for the Spurs. So that's sort of the bait now. And then what happens the second game is that Pop adjusts. Mills and LaMarcus are not closing the game. Ani and Yak are. And boom, they just completely torched the Rockets at the end of that contest. I mean, the, the defensive matchup there was tough for Aldridge, right? Um, and Aldridge against Wood, that's advantage Christian Wood right now and probably for the rest of time. Um, but, like, in the, in the second game, came out very concerted effort, a smaller Keldon Johnson on him, but still big body, you know? That was and another important change that Pop made. They, yeah, the, that's the thing with these little mini-series, right? It, it gives not just the coaching staff time to adjust, but it gives individual players a chance to look at the film, be like, oh, I missed this, I could have done this better, I could have done this better. Um, and that's another reason why it's very difficult to beat the same team two games in a row at their place or at your place, whoever it is. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a, almost a little playoff atmosphere and you get to have an extended look at these guys, at their moves, at what they run. Um, so the, the adjustment in, into that second Rockets game was pretty solid. And, you know, Evan, you talked about the, the points per game and, and when the offense is working and when it's not. I think that the offense has been working better than 
uh, half of their games under that mark, right? Mm-hmm. In terms, in terms of the way it's going, like in terms, in terms I of the way they're that. running their stuff, they yeah. they've been. I've, I I really think that they've been executing on a very high level in terms of creating shots, taking care of the ball, all of that. Even in losses, their assist to turnover ratio would lead the league. Uh, so. They're, they're doing a really good job there of setting each other up. It's just, you know, a matter of hitting shots. And I think everybody in the league has been struggling with that to an extent with the short and weird preseason and all the COVID stuff and less practice, less team stuff, less shoot around, things like that. Um, but, you know, they, they have a cure-all uh, in that they've got a bunch of dudes who can get buckets just give them the ball. And, you know, that's DeMar. It's increasingly DeJounte. Uh, they're not only the leading assist men, they're the leading scorers for this team. So, um, you know, they, they have some get-you-a-bucket guys. And I think that um, a bigger thing than figuring – figuring out the defense is important, and I think they're getting there. The communication's getting better. The off-ball awareness is getting better. The rotations are a little crisper. Uh, the attention to detail has been better. There's always going to be somebody who goes off on them. Uh, I was watching the uh, Warriors game to see who it'll be in this next one. I think Damian Lee might be a, a prime candidate. Maybe Eric Pascal knocks down like five of six from three. I don't know. Kelly, um, yeah. it's not right now. Uber, yeah. He's, he's hot always. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the, the thing with the Spurs team is they – they're going to keep running what they run um, even if sometimes it feels like the shot's not falling, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's it's pure stonecutter stuff. Talked to Patty about it, and he was like, yeah, you know, you just – you keep doing what you do, and eventually you'll you'll see the results. You can't contr- – you can't really control if the ball goes in the hole or not. Um, you know, you, you can you can tuck your elbow and lock your eyes on the rim and follow through – and and put up a great shot, and like Demar did at the end of that, uh, at the end of regulation against Houston for a chance to tie. Great shot, hits the side of the room, whoop, goes out. Can't control that. That's just the universe telling you you lost the game. Um, but you can control how you get those shots. You can control how you play, your energy, your attention to detail, your defense, uh, the way you get to your spots and communicate and set each other up and. Um, the Spurs have looked – I mean, the Spurs have to be among the most cohesive teams in the league right now with everything going on. And that mm-hmm. this year, in all years, has to be seen as a tremendous advantage, I think. Yeah. And, and I do want to uh, – I just want to bookend the closing lineup thing. Um, Patty Mills got, like, a ton of heat from fans. I, uh, looking at that Rockets game and how it ended – I don't know how you can watch the film and say like, oh, that was Patty Mills' fault. I think it was a pretty obvious LaMarcus Aldridge problem because they just kept putting Keldon Johnson and LaMarcus Aldridge in, in, in pick and roll situations. And, and, you know, there's nothing, you know, Keldon can do his best, but he works better as an off-ball defender. Um, and I think that's a smart attack from the offensive standpoint. And then you just drive at LaMarcus and, and he's not, with the contest it just wasn't even a challenge you know so I think Yach down the stretch um, 
you know, at least in the final two minutes, you're protected with Yak because you can't fall, foul off the ball and the offense doesn't go through Yak anyway. So it doesn't really matter. I don't see a situation where Yak gets the ball and he's hacked. So I just think that you have to try and integrate Yak into some more closing lineups when you are leading and you're trying to protect the lead. Um, obviously, if you need to make a run, I don't, you know, I'm willing to be a bit more offensively minded and less critical, but I, I thought up nine, five minutes left should have been a good signal to maybe go with a more defensively minded group and pop went in the opposite direction, which was very confusing to me. So that was my takeaway from that. I agree with that. Uh, and I think my takeaway from the last week or so of basketball is, you know, they're, they're six and two, you know, in the last eight games, they're six and two. Uh, we've talked about uh, them find, needing to find a, a consistent stretch here to, to put you know, a good run of basketball together because we don't know what the second half of the schedule is going to look like for them. Uh, this, this was a good stretch of basketball for them. Uh, you take the aberrations that were the Minnesota loss and the Houston loss and you chalk it up to, you know, like you said, you know, there are games like that where you're just not going to be there or you're going to miss the, some shots. Uh, it's going to hit the side of the rim or their guys are going to come out motivated because they were just told they weren't good enough. Um, the, or a combination of all of those. Exactly. And the Spurs got a couple of perfect storm games. So, yeah, no, I don't want to hear about how they, how they can't beat the, the bad teams. I don't want to hear that. They're a versatile team. You know, they've got the, the guys on the team. They are a deep squad, uh, probably one of the deepest teams in the league. We talk about the second units and everything. We've, I think we've beaten that one to death. But, uh, yeah, no, they are a great versatile team with a lot of depth, and that's going to be a plus for them throughout the rest of the season. Uh, they've got a stretch of basketball here coming up where they're playing Golden State tomorrow night in San Francisco, then Dallas, uh, then they'll be uh, versus Washington and at New Orleans. We hope versus yeah. Washington. Washington, who hasn't played a game in a month. I don't know. It's, it's, it's starting to turn into a problem. We talked a little bit about COVID issues last year, uh, last episode. Um, we've got a couple of maybe questionable things on the Spurs injury report, guys. Uh, two players with upper respiratory, uh, upper respiratory infections on the injury report um, for, the, for the Spurs here. Um, I mean, yeah, we'll have to see what happens with that Washington game. Um, before we move on to the, to the week ahead, though, I just want to um, have a conversation, a couple conversations um, that were spawned by questions we got on our Twitter account here. Uh, you can always follow us at BigFunPod. Uh, the first one being, do you guys think Patty Mills gets his jersey retired when he retires? Yeah. Uh, I'm yeah. leaning towards it. Yeah. And I, I, I was saying before we even got on the podcast, um, when I was at the Tony Parker retirement ceremony, you know, I said into the camera that probably the next player eligible to be in the Raptors is Patty Mills. Um, now, normally, I would say Patty Mills wouldn't be in the rafters. But when you account for the fact that the Spurs are very generous with who goes up into the rafters, I think that Patty Mills meets the requirement of what everything that he's done for that organization, not just on the court, but off the court. I think he is, you know, he's been the team captain for a while now. And I say that in, in you know, italics because he's not actually the captain, but, you know, it's very rare that like you just have a dude that everybody continuously just just oozes over with respect. And, and no matter who comes into that team, it's like, I mean, you talk about Patty Mills to somebody and they're just like, that's our guy. He's like, you know, the, the backbone of the locker room, all this stuff. Um, so, and again, I'm of the belief that the Spurs will re-sign him. I don't know what the figures are going to look like. It's obviously going to be cheaper than what they got him for in the last deal when – 
you know, the cap went up and it was that weird year. Um, so I, I genuinely believe that the Spurs will say, hey, Patty, hang tight. We're going to make some moves. We're going to get you, you know, we're going to get you your, your market value. will be the best offer out there for you. And, and they'll bring him back. And, I, and as we're learning this year, he's not a perfect player, but he has value and significant value in the second unit for sure. Yeah, I, if you're if you're leaning towards him getting his jersey retired, let me push you. Uh, last night in the win, as he scored twenty one, uh, hit a couple threes and passed Manu Ginobili for the NBA record for most threes off the bench with the same NBA team. Um, you know, he's he's been the emotional leader. He's been the towel waving guy. He's he's been you know one of my favorite people to talk to. I'm sure one of yours, Evan, every time you talk to Patty Mills, he gives you a thoughtful, interesting, insightful answer. Um, Just a great dude, a a wonderful human being, but do balls too. I mean, like when, when he's on, when he, when he's hitting shots and he's aggressive, um, he's, he's a difference maker for the Spurs team. And, uh, throw NBA champion on top of that throw. He's been the longest tenured spur for however long now. Um, you know, I, I don't see any way that Patty Mills ends his career and uh, doesn't soon see his number eight in, in the rafters at the AT&T center. Um, you know, in, in terms of whether he deserves it as a, as a player, you know, is, is he an NBA hall of famer? Maybe not, but he's somebody that every single Spurs fan will look back to and think of fondly when they think of this period of Spurs basketball. And they'll they'll mm-hmm. think of him not just as a great player, but as um, a great leader. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, he's and a so, favorite. Yeah. He's a fan favorite. He's the the guy everyone roots for, um, just because we've seen his growth. As, as you mentioned, the, the towel waving guy on the sideline. Uh, the third string behind uh, guys like Gary Neal uh, at that point guard position uh, to, to where he is now as, as a main vocal performer. For the, I mean, he, he is the, the leader. He's the de facto guy. Uh, and when he wanted to come in fired up, he, he backed it up. Um, I, I wonder if there's any guys out there who, who would get it before him. I don't, I don't think there is. You know, the, the Spurs aren't going to give Kawhi a jersey retirement ceremony. That's, that's been proven. Uh, um, not going to give him a Marcus. They're not going to give him a no, um, although Bonner would be a fun one, I think. But he, it, Mills reminds me a little bit of Bonner, except he's got twice the pedigree in terms of the, the, the fan favorite, the guy everyone loves, the, the personality. But I think Mills just goes a little bit further in that and a little bit deeper on that. And he's meant so much more to this team. Uh, not saying that Bonner wasn't a great spur. Um, brings me to my next question. Are, are we, are we, is this team too deep? Are we going to be able to work Derek White back into the lineup? Or do we need to move a guy um like rudy gay or, or a veteran uh, of that nature to, to to make room for him um i i think i can speak to the fact that i'm slightly concerned but uh, i'll hear what you guys have to say evan you look like you've got some thoughts there's always room for Derek white uh when you let's just say that when you have when you're eight and six without your one of your best players and you're bringing your best player back that's a good problem to have yes um it's going to take some tinkering and yes that it might be a rough patch in there they got to, you know, integrate themselves again together and, and figure out how everything's going to work. So if you think that Derek White's just going to come in and, and the Spurs are going to just, you know, hit the ground running and, and just dominate, like, I don't 
see that, but I think in the long run, things will be better and it's going to take some tinkering. And it's not like, you know, look, I think the Spurs are playing great basketball, but they're still an eight and 16. It's not like they're perfect. It's not like you're breaking up, a, you know, a team that's undefeated here or like, you know, 11 and 11 and three, whatever it might be. You know, they, they have some things they need to figure out. And especially uh, with the starting unit, putting Derek in there is going to help them defensively significantly. Um, so, you know, having Derek and DJ together is huge. And it's probably going to bump Lonnie out of the starting lineup, which is fine. Lonnie will go to the second unit. I do not want to see Vassell lose minutes. He is going to because that is, I mean, Pop didn't even play him uh, when, when White came back for a portion of there. And I think now that he's gotten more time and, and Pop's seeing what Vassell brings to the table, I think that Vassell will, will earn some more minutes. Um, in, in what degree, I don't know. I think you can still keep that second, that, you know, that, that lineup of death. I think you can still roll that out there in the beginning of the second quarter and in the beginning of the fourth. And just remember that you're essentially going to start and finish games with Derek and DeJounte, you know, and then in the middle there, you can mix and match them with whoever and, and figure out the rest. But yeah, concerns short-term, maybe like maybe but turn long term absolutely not they are much they are a much better team with Derek White on the floor and if you think the defense is improving now it's only going to get better when you have him being the freak that he is off pick and rolls and just you know defending the perimeter because you got to remember when Derek White's there it makes DeJounte's job much easier and the fact of the matter is that DeJounte and Keldon and Lonnie are working their buns off in that starting unit and if you can have Derek and DeJounte leading the charge up top, that's really going to help alleviate um, some significant issues. And it's going, to make, it's going to make things tough for opposing teams to attack them in pick and roll scenarios. Like if you're, if you're going to go over the top and you're going to have Derek or DeJounte there, they're going to be able to recover pretty quickly, which is going to help LaMarcus, um, you know, figure his stuff out. I always said, I, I, I don't know if, LaMarcus in the starting lineup is the right move. You know, we, we have to figure that out. Maybe LaMarcus is better in the second unit. Now, I, I, I worry about that because you're weakening the second unit. But these, these are all the things that we're going to have to talk about when Derek gets involved and just see what happens. And, yeah, it's going to be some mixing and matching, and there might be some, some highs and lows, and we'll ride it out. So I, I think with – who starts when Derek comes back? We got to remember how great he was in the bubble, right? He looked like argue, definitely the Spurs' best two-way player, arguably their best overall player in the bubble. A um, little bit of everything. On ball, off ball, both ways. Derek White is a reliable player. And so I think for all of those reasons, he has to go into the starting lineup. And Lonnie Walker, I think, would benefit from a featured six-man role where he can initiate a little bit more offense off the bench. Um, he's effective uh, at spacing the floor and attacking off the catch and knocking down shots. Um, but I also want to see him you know, play with a little bit more license to shoot like he had in the two games when DeMar DeRozan was out. Um, you know, part of it is mental, part of it is just having the opportunity. And he'd have 
uh, more opportunity in the second unit, more impetus to take those shots. Um, for the starters, you look at what um, DeJounte Murray has traditionally struggled with, at least in relation to Derek White, right? Um, I think White is a more solid on-ball defender. DeJounte gambles a bit. He's better in passing lanes. He's better off-ball using those long arms. Um, he can reach in and grab a couple steals for you. Um, but if you ask me who I want staying in front of a guy and who I want gumming up the passing lanes when that guy gets stymied, I want Derek White guarding the ball. Um, <clears throat> and that opens up a lot for him. It also uh, takes a little bit of the playmaking pressure off. DeJounte's been really great taking a leap in that regard this year. Um, but, you know, him as a, as a slasher, also really, really good. Um, so getting to see that pair play together, I think is going to be fantastic. I think, um, you know, because of the uh, defensive improvement we're seeing because of the, uh, you know, outlier bad shooting on open shots, uh, because Derek White hasn't played a game, you know, this, it's really only going up for this team as long as they stay healthy. And um, I, I think that when you have a guy like Derek White, you have to feature him. You want to make sure he eases back in. He'll probably, you know, come off the bench minutes restriction for a bit. Um, I don't think we'll, we'll ever see at least this year, LaMarcus Aldridge coming off the bench, I think we will see games where, uh, you know, Jakob Pertl is playing the more prominent role. And we, we did in these, in these last two, there's been more Jakob mm -hmm. Pertl in big stretches. Um, and he's played well enough to merit that. Um, so so that's, that's one of the big things that I'm watching for the rest of the year. How much is Jakob Pertl raising his stock and how much is – you know, father time coming for LaMarcus Aldridge. So, mm -hmm. um, but for right now, I mean, the Spurs have the right pieces in the right places uh, and they're, they're doing what they want to. What I'm most yeah. concerned about with bringing Derek White in is taking the ball out of Murray and DeRozan's hands. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the historic run they're having with the insisted turnover ratio with uh, the less than 10 turnovers a game. Um, I'm just, uh, you know, Derek White isn't a turnover machine. I mean, in the bubble, he had two turnovers a game, but I just don't want to break that consistency. Um, I, I think if you work Derek White back into a role where he's more of an off-ball guy, you're probably better off. Um, just to remind you of his stellar bubble stats, he was a 19.5 assist, four rebounds a game kind of guy, uh, which is pretty stellar. I, I, I don't know if you're going to get that production from him this year uh, in, in what's been a loaded roster for the Spurs he shot like 39% on on eight threes a game you know yeah. a lot off the screen off the bounce he he's a baller if he wants to be the off-ball guy I mean his defense needs no questioning his defense is, is always going to be stellar he, he is probably one of the best charge takers the Spurs have ever had uh he's, he's probably the best charge taker in the NBA right now too um, you can put a highlight reel. I think, Evan, you put it together, a highlight reel of, of – I did in the bubble when he had like five in a game or whatever the hell it was. 
But I, I think it's a good problem for the Spurs to have, right? To, to work a guy like White in and to have so many guys who, who, can, who can be the ones with the ball and who could be the, the, the dude at night, you know? We've seen it throughout all these games. If it's Lonnie Walker, if it's Keldon Johnson, if it's DeJounte Murray, you know, all these guys can be, can be the, t- the, the one that and, the victory. So. Yeah, and, and just to remind you, um, last year, Murray, White, Walker, DeRozan, Pirtle had a, a plus 8.5 differential on 156 possessions um you know their defense was was 110.7 their their offense was 119.2 so uh, a, a very successful lineup that is um but but you know the lineup which Derek White played the most with last year was Mills it was Mills White Walker Rudy Gay Yaka Pirtle plus 13.5 so again, we're seeing that gay Yaka Pertle thing in that second unit providing. So that's that's a, a the same number. unit. That's the same unit, but with Dejounte out and yeah, and uh, Derek White in then. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So yeah, so I mean, like it, it just. Well, I, I guess the point I'm getting at, right, is that things are going to work out, and you're going to be able to bob and weave. And if we go back to last year, and we look at the the lineups that White put himself in. Um, you know, he played a bit more of a, a reserved role. Um, I'm trying to think, is there, we're not going to be able to find a lineup which would be like Murray, White, Keldon, um, DeRozan, LaMarcus. But, um, you know, like just to, just to see if I can just give you a little taste of it. You know, you had. I can see um, it in my mind and it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And that's, yeah, see, you know what? I, I can't – they didn't do it enough. That's the problem last year. Like, uh, you know, Murray, White, Walker, DeRozan, Eubanks was minus 9.4. If you can, you know, s- sort of guess what, uh, you know, LaMarcus would provide way more offensive ability than, than Drew would be. But, but that, that unit for 20 possessions was a, a, very, a very good defensive unit. They just couldn't get anything offensively going. You know, the, the whole – we had uh, Murray, Mills, White, DeRozan, Aldridge for 17 possessions last year, and that was minus 25.1. Just they did terrible offensively and not that good defensively, but we're talking about 17 possessions. You know, we were the ones screaming from the rooftop all season long, play White and Murray together, and they would never do it. So, unfortunately, we can't really comp that out. But, um, you know, White will if – we're, if we're judging by how White was – brought in January 1st, White will come in, he'll come off the bench. It will provide even more firepower off the bench. Um, maybe maybe the rough spots, but yeah, I think that putting him back into the starting lineup um, is a move. And then, you know, it, it's a worthy question of whether you have to deal Rudy Gay. I just don't think this year with all the COVID concerns, you can, because who knows when you're going to lose a player for two weeks. So I rather just have the depth, and I just hope that you know maybe Rudy, Rudy loses some minutes to Devin Vassell. You got You got to play Vassell, and you got You got to have him in there. Just he, he's too good of a utility guy. He's he's just he's one of those dudes where he comes in a game and good things happen. 
yeah, he's been fantastic. And, and bringing up the, the weird year that it is and is going to continue to be, uh, it's a good reason to have, have a, lot of, a lot of cooks in the kitchen there. Uh, the stretch they've got upcoming, I mentioned again, at Golden State tomorrow on Wednesday uh, versus Dallas versus Washington at New Orleans. Anything that stands out to you guys? Tom, is there a matchup that you're particularly looking forward to in this next week? Um, I mean, if you, if you saw that uh, Warriors game, they are not dead yet. Uh, <laughs> reports of their demise have been greatly exaggerated. They still got uh, Stephen Wardell Curry uh, and Draymond Green, who I don't know if you guys saw this, but uh, he he's he's talking to the rookie James Wiseman after a play, right? Wiseman missed a, a read, missed a pass, and and Draymond comes up to him. He's like, hey. You you got to be there. You got to catch that pass and attack because, like, I got you in space against Marc Gasol. I like that. And then the camera pans out, and you see Marc Gasol standing right there just like, dude. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Dr- Draymond, Mr. Triple Single, still really good. Uh, I think that matchup with Keldon will be fun. Um I think Wiseman will be tough for uh, LaMarcus. Um, and I think Steph will be tough for anybody attempting to stop him from scoring the basketball. So, um, you know, they just they just beat the Lakers uh, on a ridiculous 19-point uh, comeback. Hopefully they're tired when the Spurs come to town. We'll see. Yeah, they um, are um, – I'll say this, uh, just on the Warriors, they are very – um, they're very good in transition defense. They're not so good in transition offense, but especially off live rebounds, they they do a, a great job, and that is a strength of the Spurs. So I'm I'm very interested to see how they can make that happen, especially since the Spurs these last four games haven't been as effective in transition as what we once saw. Just uh, you know the first um, eight eight, nine games. Um, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm also very interested to see uh, James Wiseman and what he looks like and, and how that works out for, for San Antonio and, and also understanding for a guy like Kelvin, you can't just bully your way into a guy like James Wiseman and expect to, to get points out of that scenario, you know, pick your spots. So I think this this uh, really the last five games for the Spurs, if you include the Houston games, right? You're going against teams really with Portland, Golden State, Dallas, where you've got Dame, Steph, Luca. Uh, you know some of the most dynamic offensive players in the league, um, and their teams are dealing with uh, you know injuries, COVID stuff. Uh, the depth, the consistency has not really been there for them this year. But they still got those guys, and those guys are still going to ball out. We saw how they took care of Portland. Um, after the game, they were stoked about their defense on Dame. He, he had 35 points. But after the game, they were like, we did a good job on him. And if you look at the numbers, they kind of did. He shot 10 of 23 from the floor. He shot 3 of 10 from the three-point line and 12 of 12 from the free-throw line. And he had six assists and five turnovers. You know, without C.J. McCollum, 
you you do that to Damian Lillard, you're probably going to win the game. Um, so we'll we'll see how it goes against a Golden State team where Steph is missing Clay, uh, and where Wiggins and Ubre have not been effective really to start the season, although their size presents a bit of a matchup problem for the Spurs, I will say. Um, and then, uh, you know, as far as Washington goes, I'm interested to see if they're healthy enough to suit up. And as far as the mm-hmm. Pelicans go, uh, that's, that's a measuring stick game, you know, against another young team that really has been, uh, you know, they, they've got a lot of potential BI Zion. I mean, I've been watching these guys play, and they're they they're quite good. They're some they're some of my favorite players to just watch play basketball right now because they're two of the freakiest looking dudes I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Can we talk that? about also how, just just quickly how the NBA did it twice to the Spurs, where they got to play home in San Antonio and then travel to New Orleans and play the back to back. I guess the NBA thinks it's an easy trip. I don't know. Yeah, it, it is an easy trip. But, you know, to do that twice to the same team, um, like that, that just seems, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that, uh, you know. Hopefully they have the night off against Washington. Well, if, that is very, you know, I'm sure the Spurs aren't going to complain about that. I'll tell you that right now. If Washington is able to suit up, though, that means we get to uh, see our guy Davis Bertans for one more time, a nice little uh, reunion with that. And then also we get to look at Denny. Denny Advija, who uh, was mm-hmm. the hyped guy in the Spurs world for, for 10 to 12 months there. Um, you know, it'd be good to see them play in the court, but we'll see what happens there. Uh, any final thoughts, guys, uh, before we move on to the next week? Evan, how are you doing with corks? Uh, still, still got a lot of work to go. All right, all right. Still got, still got some work to go. Final thoughts, um, I think that Spurs fans – just don't get too high and don't get too low. All right. I think Tom, you posted that, uh, that great picture. Uh, you're like when Spurs win and when Spurs lose. Um, and you know, Patty Mills was torching opponents for seven straight games. We knew a cold streak was coming. So when he misses a bunch of shots, just understand it's regression to the mean. And we were talking about it. You know, you get hot, you get hot, you get hot. You start thinking that, all these shots are going to fall and you start forcing some bad ones. So you have to recalibrate, get back into what got you so hot. And, you know, we saw that a little bit against Portland of just him in rhythm. So um, still not down with Patty, you know, Rudy is, is still going to be Rudy and he's going to have games where he's great offensively. He's going to have games where he stinks and you're going to be ripping your hair out. But while Derek White is out of the picture, I think, um, you know, Things have, have been looking good. And, yeah, I, you know, it, it's been a solid stretch for the Spurs. It has been, especially on the road, 6-2 and two on the road. That's sort of the biggest surprise, I think, to begin the year. And not that home court matters that much this season, but really surprised of how well the Spurs are playing away from San Antonio. I think it's because their game travels, right? I mean, you know, shooting, you have worse shooting nights statistically on the road. Um, that's that's sort of a known phenomenon. But defense travels. Taking care of the ball travels. Attacking the rim, playing hard travels. So, um, you know, I think that's sort of inside where the Spurs have, have gotten their advantage this year. Um, 
but yeah, six and two on the road, six and two in the last eight games. I understand that Minnesota, when you look back in in a vacuum, is going to be a tough loss. Houston, when you look back in a vacuum, tough loss. But were we really expecting the Spurs to go eight and zero in that stretch? No. They're eight and six right now. They are um, improving as a team on defense. They're improving individually as players. Um, you know, the, really the only guy who wasn't playing at his best for at least part of the season was Jakob Pertl, and he's been fantastic the past two games. Mm-hmm. So um, there, there isn't a single player on this roster. I think pe- people like to project their opinions onto me uh, and, and what, I, what I say about these players uh, and, and form opinions about the opinions I have of these players. Uh, I'm certainly higher on some than I am on others, but there's not a single guy on this team where I'm like, oh, he's bad. There's nothing he can bring to this team. He's got to be gone. There were guys on, on this team like that last year. I'm, I was pretty clear about that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't feel that way about anybody on this team. I feel like they have the guys. I feel like they have the guys to go out and compete with anybody. I think they showed that in the game against Los Angeles, uh, against both Los Angeles teams, in fact. Um, they, they have what it takes right now, um, you know, to be a consistent competitor in this league and, you know, play against the best teams. Um, you know, they, they absolutely need to do a better job of taking care of business. Right. Um, but the same people who, uh, are ready to, you know, throw the whole thing in a blender for a, a tough loss, against a team that they theoretically should have beat, will see this team beat a team they're supposed to beat and be like, yeah, okay, well, they're supposed to beat them. Okay. You know, a win's a win's, a loss's a loss. Uh, and, and the Spurs, I think, are on pace to, uh, you know, improve on an already pretty good season through a really tough stretch to start the year. Um, you know, you, you look at the teams they've played – Los Angeles, they've played four games against the Los Angeles teams, and, and they're 500 in those games. Um, you know, a lot, lot on the road, long road trip, no getting out of your hotel room. And these guys have just been locking in. It's, re- it's really, um, you know, fun to watch this team, and they're continuing to grow. So, um, you know, my, my last thought, I guess, is that uh, – you know, once the season's over and, and we look at the Spurs' win total finish line, it's going to owe me some Fiesta-colored shoes, I think. Because <laughs> mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I, I know Spurs' Twitter isn't going to let them live that tweet down where they said that uh, this team wasn't going to win a lot of games this year. Uh, I've already seen some uh, some revivification of that tweet uh, now that the, the Spurs are in the fifth seed. I, it's all about consistency. It's all about continuing to grow, you know, um, and that this is a good stretch. Uh, what I think, Tom, you said measuring stick. You know, they've got a couple of measuring stick games here against the Pelicans. And then, of course, you know, I always love to see what our guys can do when they match up against one of those goats. You know, how are they going to treat LeBron James? And tonight, and tomorrow night, it's going to be how are they going to treat Steph Curry? How's DeJounte's defense going to be?
going to be? You know, is he going to be the guy who gets the call? Is it going to be a team effort? So uh, a lot of fun games to watch ahead here. And, uh, you know, when we get to that, when we get together next week, we're going to have some fun games to kind of dissect here. Um, I think we're going to wrap it up there, guys. That's Evan Klosky. He's got everything covered on Ken's Five's TV side. So please tune in to Ken's Five there. Uh, Tom Petrini and I have you covered digitally at Ken's5.com. Ken's Five is the official station of the San Antonio Spurs. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Hey!